Well, good morning, Reston Bible Church and all those that happen to be watching. Week number seven, preaching to an empty auditorium. Uh, several people have actually asked me, what's it like speaking to an empty auditorium? Well, here's, here's what I've got to remind myself of, is that every one of you is inside that camera lens. That's where you are. You're inside that camera. You're not out here. So I've got to remind myself of that. Secondly, uh, it lacks the sense of the energy that you would normally feel. So I've got to sort of sense that you're here to feel the energy. Uh, obviously, if I say something fairly funny, which I might from time to time, there's no response. So there's some awkward things that, we're, that every pastor is going through right now. But nonetheless, this is where we are, and we're thankful for technology. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We have been looking at faith, hope, and love. And we said that, that faith can be defined, hope, uh, uh, hope can be defined to some degree, but love is, is more explained. There's sort of a, of a definition to, by explanation when you look at 1 Corinthians 13. Um, there are many superlatives we looked at last week regarding the subject matter of love. And I said we'd take three separate weeks on love alone because of the greatest of these, love is the greatest. So many superlatives. All the law and the prophets hang in the fact that I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself. We also mentioned, and this is so important, love is not an emotion. It is an action that gives birth to emotion. So important that we grasp that. <clears throat> if I love somebody... That is an action. I might do something for them. I might send them a gift. I might send them an email. I might say something that's wonderful about them. That may elicit or bring or engender some kind of an emotion on their part. But on my part or your part, love is basically an action. Now, the text we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 5, in just a moment, I have boiled it down to a singular statement. If you want to call it the tagline for the day, that's fine. But it's a very, it's a very difficult truth to grasp. I'm going to say it. It's going to be a little hard to grasp. After we go through the text, I think you'll, you'll have a fuller understanding of what I mean. And it's birthed out of having studied this particular text, these very few verses that we're going to look at. And here's the statement. We will never be fully human until we learn to fully love. Let me say it again. You and I will never be fully human until we learn to fully love. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5. I'd like you to look at verses 43 and following. This is the Sermon on the Mount, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus says starting in verse 43 of chapter 5 of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans or Gentiles do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, there is much in these few verses, and I'm asking you that you, Lord, would illuminate our hearts and minds to grasp this singular, basic, blessed truth that we will never be fully human until we fully love. So, Father, let your Holy Spirit be our instructor, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you might be um, watching uh, that don't attend Reston Bible Church. Maybe some of you are just checking out services. Maybe you're, you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of, of Jesus. Uh, I, think if you, I think you'll find this to be uh, a bit uh, perplexing at first, and I think even believers will find this very perplexing, because Jesus, not just once in a while, almost all the time says things that mess with us and cause us to really think, what are you saying here? And I'm going to state this over and over again, that we will never be fully human until we learn to fully love. I'm going to state that over and over again. Now, here's what we mean by that statement. Because some of you might not, right now might be saying, Mike, are you saying that I'm not a human being unless I fully love? Didn't say that. I'm saying that you're not fully human. I didn't say you're not a human being or that I'm not a human being. As a matter of fact, Scripture would de define us as a human being because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Animals aren't. Trees aren't. Uh, biology tells us we're human beings. Science tells us we're human beings. Genetics tell us we're human beings. But that's not the same thing as being fully human because we've been created in the image and likeness of God and we are called to the full capacity of humanity. And in this particular case right here, or the full capacity of being human is the idea of being able to love even people that you may not like, that you might even despise. For example, if you know somebody who's really good at art, but they never paint anything, they never draw anything, they've not really come to their full potential in life. If you know somebody that's a very gifted athlete, they just never play any sports, or they're a gifted musician, but they never pick up a guitar or play the piano, they're a human being, but they have not, they have not engaged in, in, in the, the, the fullness of who they could become. But this is not talking here in Matthew 5 about a talent or an ability. This is talking about becoming fully human in the sense that God has called us to be fully human that we might fully love. Because we said last week that love is the greatest power in the universe. Now, let's walk through the text and there's a trajectory to this. This is the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> the crowd is beginning to build there's an awful lot of self-righteousness in Israel uh, amongst the, the, the rabbis and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and different people that thought they were better than other people. But all of us to some degree think that. So this is a, this is a real, uh, this, is a, this is a strike in the solar plexus. I don't have any way to say it. This is a, a gut punch, all right? Because when you read certain things that Jesus says, you actually pause and you go, you couldn't possibly mean that you you could not possibly mean that so let's take a look and see what what he says verse 43 we open with this listen carefully to the statement you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy 
Sometimes you'll find that Jesus will say something like this. As it is written, talking about the Old Testament, Jesus loved the Old Testament. He grew up on the Old Testament. Those were his scriptures. The New Testament hasn't been written, all right? So he's talking to this crowd, and he says, You have heard, not it is written, you have heard that it has been said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's quoting out of Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 says this Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, follow with me on this. This is really key, really key. He says, You have heard that you're to love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. The issue is this. Where does it say hate your enemy? It doesn't. That's been added through the years. Because human nature, so often we absolutely despise people. We can grow to hate people. And so they've added to the Old Testament teachings. But it isn't just that they've added something They've also omitted something. And what they omitted is, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. For a Pharisee to love somebody as they would love themselves would be a very, very hard command. But it's hard for all of us. Because if Christ were to say to you, if, he, if Jesus is standing before you and he says, I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself that is not an easy command to follow because I know for me I'm number one I care about me a lot I like me and the thought that I am supposed to love somebody else as much as I love myself is very difficult as a matter of fact we even mentioned last week uh, we find in Luke 10 the parable of the good Samaritan we talked about it last week very briefly and that is the fact of Who's your neighbor? It turns out to be anyone you come in contact with. So I'm to love somebody that I come in contact with as much as I love myself. Jesus, you're messing with me. You're pushing my buttons here. You're calling me to do something I find absolutely impossible to do. But let me read something to you. Several passages in the Old Testament. It says this. Do not say... I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back as they did to me. That's Proverbs, all right? Proverbs says, I'll get back. Today, sometimes, don't even just get even, get beyond even. Get even more. But in the Old Testament, it, it, it says nothing like that. It says this. Here's a hard one. Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Your enemy... This is, this is hard to grasp. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there, but be sure to help him with it. Pharisees and self-righteous people often exalt themselves as better than others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. A tax collector and a Pharisee. The Pharisee says... I thank God that I'm not like other men are. 
extortioners, adulterers, greedy. Oh, I've, I, I go to church every week. I, I give tithes of all that I possess. I fast. You see, this, the, the Sermon on the Mount turns everything upside down. And it deals with hypocrisy. And he's striking at the heart of every single person that's in range of hearing this or for us reading it. Verse 44. Things, now he's talking about, he's talking about your, your neighbor. Now in verse 44, he says this. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's one thing to love my neighbor. And I could define my neighbor as the person that's next door to me. Jesus says your neighbor is anybody you come in contact with. But now he goes a step further. He says, I'm calling you to love your enemy. Love your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Pause for a moment with me. This gets back to understanding what love is. How am I to love someone that I absolutely despise. We all have people in our lives that we really just don't like. We, we're around people that have the personality of a number five sandpaper, all right? We, we, we've, we're around people that rub us the wrong way. We may have been around people that really enjoy giving us a hard time. We might even be around people, it could be somebody at work that mocks what you believe. That gives you a hard time. It isn't just that this is a nice neighbor. This is somebody that's hostile toward me. And I am told to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me. I find that very, very hard to believe. I find it very hard to carry out. But listen to this. Jesus comes into town, so to speak. He arrives on the planet. He grows up. We see his life. Everything changes. All the dynamics, all the paradigms. He breaks down all the issues of race. He breaks down the issues of, of sex discrimination. All these things. Uh, Jew and Gentile. This goes against the grain of everything the people at that time were thinking or could believe in. And to the best of my knowledge, from what I understand, he's the only person in the history of mankind that has come in with such a change. There have been wonderful people that have come in with some great ideas of loving people, but not like this man. So Jesus breaks down all the barriers. He breaks down all the walls. And so the question is, when he says, love your neighbor, and then he says, I tell you, love your enemy, who comes to mind? Come on. Who comes to mind? A difficult boss? A teammate? Sorority sister? Fraternity brother? Neighbor? Your ex? Somebody that, that, that's ripped you off in business, that ran away with, with all the stock and left you, you know, with, with nothing? You're you going to tell me I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to, to love that person? Listen carefully. Love is an action, not an emotion. What does that look like? How, what does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like this. Your... Uh, your neighbor that you don't get along with or just rubs you wrong, you know they're getting ready to leave town and you say, hey, uh, hey, while you're gone, don't worry about your driveway, I'll, I'll shovel it. Or hey, uh, hey don't worry about, I'll, I'll pick up the newspaper. Could be somebody at the office. You're getting ready to go out to lunch. Somebody that you do not get along with. 
Somebody at, at various staff meetings just rubs you wrong, gives you a hard time. Hey, I'm headed to lunch. Can I get you something? You see, it doesn't mean that you are warm and fuzzy toward them, that you just, that you just like them, uh, that you just can't wait to be around them. You don't like them. Let's be honest. You don't like them. But you can love them. Because love's an action. It's not an emotion. But it gives birth to an emotion. You have no idea what that does to your neighbor, the person that's sitting in the cubicle next to you. You don't know the walls that takes down because love is the most powerful force in the universe. Now let's take a look at this. Verse 45. Follow the trajectory of all this. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now let's be careful here. When he says, love your enemy, and then he goes on and he says, so that you might be the sons of your father, he's not talking about earning your salvation. You know, many of you know that my father was a high-ranking military, and there were, uh, when he was superintendent of the Naval Academy, you know, I was known as his son when I was out in public doing things. And it, it, it was almost like, Mike, act like you're supposed to act being the superintendent's son. That's sort of the idea here. He's not saying that you're going to earn your salvation. You'd never know how much you have to love people in order to do that. We know from the rest of Scripture that's not the situation at all. The issue here is, the issue is that he is saying that God is not discriminating. Notice what he goes on and he says here in this text. He says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Let's say you have a a neighbor uh, that you don't get along with and you're getting ready to plant a garden and he's going to plant a garden. And uh, both of you put in uh, tomatoes and squash and cucumbers, etc. According to this scripture here, according to Jesus' teaching, the sun rises on the just as well as the unjust it rises and, and it rains on the, on the just as well as the unjust. His point is, if I'm not going to discriminate by the rain and the sunshine, who are you to discriminate? Do you really believe that if you raise tomatoes, your tomatoes are going to be twice as large as his tomatoes because he's unjust, because he mocks me, because he's immoral, because he doesn't think the way you do? No, I'm going to pour out just as much rain on his garden is yours. Just as much sunshine, not going to be any difference at all. Because I want you to get my point. I want you to understand I'm not discriminating. I'm breaking down barriers here. I want you to know that I love that person and you're to love them too. Because we'll never be fully human until we fully love. That's the whole thrust behind this entire text here over and over and over again. Because love is an action. It is an action. And here's what we see when it talks about rain and sunshine. He's making this comparison of showing you that he's going to take care of people that you probably wouldn't want the, the sun to come on. You wouldn't want the rain to come on, but he's going to because he's driving home this point. I want you to become fully human. And if you can understand what it means to be, to be fully loving, you'll become fully human. You know, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a, a, a great text. It's found in the book of Exodus. This particular text, to the best of my knowledge, 
is quoted in the Old Testament dozens of times, more than any other verse in the Old Testament. And here's what it says. This is found in Exodus chapter 34, 6 through 7. Listen very carefully to this reading because I'm going to take you to another portion of Scripture in a moment that builds upon this. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, this is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is the God of Scripture, the God of the Old Testament. Now let me read something to you. I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Jonah, taught on it a number of times in different places. Here's how that book starts. God comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he says, Jonah, rise up and flee to Nineveh. Tell them about me because their wickedness has come up before me. Not their love, not their kindness, not their generosity, their wickedness. And I want you to go tell them about me. Well, who are the Ninevites? Well, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. They hated the Jew. Jonah is a Jew. Jonah thinks to himself, I'm not going there. I'm not going to demonstrate what it looks like to be fully human and to love people that I can't, that I despise, to love my enemy. And so Jonah flees. And you know the story. You know the account. You know the narrative. He winds up in the belly of a great fish. Then, after he's vomited out on dry land, he eventually goes to Nineveh. Then he says this in chapter 4. Listen very, very carefully to what he says. It's, it's just an amazing statement. He's a prophet. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He's angry because God is going to save these people. All right? He prayed to the Lord. This is a prayer. Listen to what he says to the Lord in his prayer. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still in my homeland? That is why I so quickly fled to Tarshish. I went in the totally opposite direction. You called me to go east, I went west. Here's what he says as he's praying to the Lord. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love. What's he quoting? Exodus 34. Exodus. Here is Jonah being called to demonstrate love to people that he hates. God loves these people. He wants Jonah to be fully human. Not, not uh, to experience the full humanity of what God has called him to. And he refuses it. And then he quotes scripture. He says, I knew you were gracious. I knew you had mercy and kindness. I knew your love was abounding. Really? I guess so. I hope so. I hope so. You see, this is all woven throughout Scripture. It isn't just in Matthew where we read this. It's all throughout Scripture. But what we find in this particular text is that we find this hard grasp that I'm supposed to love every single person around the planet as well as my enemy. Now let's take a look at this. Verses 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? He's comparing exclusivism. He's, he's talking about how people that are, that are reading this or are in the earshot of listening to the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about demonstrating love to everyone, but we find it difficult to love somebody as much as we love ourselves because we see ourselves as morally superior to other people. And so he's comparing, he's saying, you talk about the, the term quid pro quo, uh, oh, I'll love you if you love me back. Oh, you're a Gentile, and I'm a Gentile, I'll love you. Oh, you're a tax collector, and I'm a tax collector. <laughs> He's saying, come on. You're, you're calling yourself morally superior to other people. I hopefully, hopefully we've broken that down. You're not. You're not. You think you are. And maybe outwardly in some of the things that you do would show that, but inwardly your heart is like that of everyone else. And I'm going to say something hard here. I'm looking into the camera. If you have an ounce, an ounce of racism in you, I don't like them because they are black or white or brown or yellow. I don't like them. I don't like them because of the social class they're in. You've got a problem with this passage. And I've got a problem with this passage. If there's an ounce an ounce of that in us. Because love says, I'm to love every single person. Jesus breaks down all the boundaries, everything in this. Unless I think that I'm morally superior to other people. And now, the final, the final punch in the solar plexus. Look at what he says. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, I'm sorry. I, let me get this straight. You've called me to love my neighbor, which according to you is everybody in the world that I come in contact with. Then you go a step further and you tell me I'm called to love my enemy, people that I despise, the boss that I despise, my ex that I despise, my former partner in business that I despise, you're telling me I'm to love them. And now, now you come along with the audacity of saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've heard people that know a lot about the Greek, they'll say, well, this word perfect here just simply means to be mature. I have a problem with that. Here's why. Be mature as your heavenly Father is mature. <laughs> God is mature. Did He mature? No, He's talking about being perfect. He is calling us. He is calling us on a road, on a pathway to become like Jesus. Will we reach it? Not in this lifetime. Not in your life. No possible way. But it doesn't mean He isn't calling us to it. He's calling us to become fully human. Because we are only fully human when we fully love. Which means loving neighbor, everyone, including loving our enemy. Doesn't say you have to feel like it. Doesn't say it feels good. Doesn't say you get the warm and fuzzies. Because it's not an emotion, it is an action. 
that produces something in the people around you that experience your love, including your enemy or your enemies. And I suspect right about now, some of us have kind of checked off some people we're thinking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I find it very hard to, to love that person. And then, <laughs> who's the only person that ever kept this, that ever lived this out fully? Jesus. Jesus loved people he came in contact with. He loved prostitutes, tax collectors, and he got rebuked for it. He got rebuked for caring for people that other people hated. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. But what does it actually look like to love fully? I'll tell you what it looks like. It's not defined, it's described. And here's where it's described. I'm going to read this to you. You've heard it before. Listen carefully. This is what it looks like to love fully and then experience what it means to be fully human. Love is patient. Pause on that one for a moment. Am I patient? That's something I struggle with. I got to tell you, I really struggle with that one. Love is kind. Kind to who? Kind to your enemy? Kind to your friend? Kind to people that, that will not uh, give back to you just because you've done something kind to them? Doesn't envy? You don't look at, at, at your next door neighbor and realize they've got a, a nicer car than you and you start envying? Love doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. Love says, I'm so thankful for what they've got. Wish I had one too, but I don't. Doesn't boast. It doesn't name drop. It doesn't go around talking about how great you are. It isn't proud. None of these are natural. None of these are, these are supernatural. I, I can't do any of these things on my own. It isn't rude. It's not self-seeking. I'm naturally self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I can get upset at times. doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Oh, I'm good at that. I got my list. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Sometimes we find ourselves actually enjoying when we see evil come upon somebody or they do something. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There it is. So when we ask ourselves the question, what does it look like to be fully human? It doesn't mean that we're not humans. We're human. Uh, we're people. But to be fully human, to experience the fullness of what we are called to, we must fully love. You see somebody do something that's heinous, and we go, well, that's inhumane. And they're, not, they're not acting like they're even human. But Jesus, in this passage of Scripture and all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is digging deep deep into the heart and exposing the reality of what you and I are really like. Even kind, nice people still struggle with their enemies. They struggle with a neighbor that they have trouble with. The question is, who comes to mind? That's my question for you. Who comes to mind? When Jesus looks you in the face and says, 
I not only want you to love your neighbor, I want you to love your enemy. I want you not just to love your neighbor, I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yourself. Think of how much you love yourself. Then apply that to everyone else. That's what it means to be fully human. That's what it means to experience full humanity because we fully love. You know, when I think about this whole subject matter of when we think about who comes to mind, there is no doubt that you and I, not that we want to be taking inventory of all of our enemies, but you know who surfaces. You know who comes to mind. And it doesn't do a whole lot of good to just go through these passages and study them and then get up and just disappear. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, in the final chapter, Jesus says, I don't want you just to listen to what I'm saying. I want you to do what I'm saying. I want you to, I want you to carry this out. So I pause, and as I've gone over this text this week, and I have to be honest with you, it's been, it's been, um, it's been painful. It hasn't been easy. Because I knew I'd be preaching on this, and I had to think to myself, are you, are, are you carrying this out? Are you avoiding certain people that you just plain don't like? They rub you the wrong way? I'm telling you, as Jesus looks me in the face, you're to love that person. And that love is an action. It is an action. And we are called to be perfect. Even as our Heavenly Father is perfect, but I can't do that, and neither can you. And so Jesus gives us an answer. And now I'm going to speak for a moment to anybody who might be kind of listening in, and you're thinking, Kelly, I, I could never do all this. This is craziness. You've got your enemies. You're thinking, I could never love them. I could never even like them. I could ne- don't even want to be around them. Am I going to fail? Will I not make it into the kingdom? Uh, what, what's going on here? Jesus carried out the ultimate commands. Everything hangs on love. Jesus fulfilled all of this for us. He is perfect. His Father in heaven is perfect. And because I can't be perfect, because I cannot live this out as God God commands me, and because I fail every day, Jesus says to me, to Mike Minter, Mike, you're okay. And I'll tell you why. Because you put your faith in me back in 1970, and I transferred all of my loving righteousness, and I placed it to your account. You're safe. You're in. Not because you're good. Not because you've loved people perfectly, because I have. That's the message of the gospel. And so, maybe this has really pricked your heart. Maybe this has really bothered you as a believer, as well as an unbeliever. You don't consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, and you look at something like this and you say, who comes up with things like this? There are all kinds of sages and wise people from different religions and so on. But who comes up with this? Who comes up with the Sermon on the Mount that takes everything in my heart and just turns it upside down and shows me what I'm really like and then tells me I need to be perfect and then comes along and says, my perfection is placed to your account when you realize you'll never be able to keep this. You can't, even though you're commanded to. And you're, you're set free. He came to set the captives free. And now I, I, I would just encourage you if, you, if you're not a follower, it isn't a matter of trying to do something. 
It is receiving something. It is receiving the ultimate love of God through Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's his action towards us. And when you receive that love and you believe that Christ died for you and rose again the third day, you are declared perfect. You're declared perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You're declared righteous. If you've never trusted him, I don't care if you're in your pajamas, I don't care where you are. I just pray that today would be the day that you would see your need for a Savior. And for Christians, look at that text. Ask yourself some hard questions. And then carry out what God has called us to carry out through the power of the gospel, which is his love for us that motivates us to love others and then experience what it means to be fully human. Let's pray. Father, you have revealed some very deep truths about our hearts and how we think and how we act. And Lord, we fall so short of your glory. And I pray for anyone out there that has never called upon you to save them, that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day that they would say, Lord Jesus, I have failed. I can't possibly keep your perfect righteous standards, but I thank you that you kept them for me and that you'll place it to my account when I believe and put my faith and confidence and hope in you. So I pray that we wouldn't just leave here today and think another message, another sermon, another teaching, but that we would leave here today with a desire to become fully human as we would learn to fully love. And we'll give you, Father, all the glory as we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.